Isn't it great to know that your ministers were as crazy as you were when you were a kid? That's nuts. <laughs> Flying a tricycle out of a barn. I love it. So, <laughs> well, I think we should pray as we dive into this passage about building healthy homes, my friends. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the blessing it is to come together physically as your people and to seek your face. And as we seek your face in your word this morning, I pray that it be a powerful lesson for each and every one of us that we can make every single one of our homes a little church, worshiping you, serving you, filled with your grace and your truth, and so that we would flourish in you and at the same time be a light to the world. Think our thoughts now. May my lips be yours. I ask, Lord, you would come and you would bend our wills to yours. And as you bend our wills, we would delight in that will. And, Lord, that you would take every single one of our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are. We're wrapping up our series on pandemic parenting and grandparenting. I don't want the grandparents in here to think that you don't have an impact to your grandkids. And by virtue of singles and aunts and uncles, we, have, we all in the body of Christ have an impact for the gospel among the kids. And coming from our tradition where we all make promises to help one another, all right, we, we have an extra boldness we should have in, in parenting, helping parents live into the promises that they make. So this is for all of us. We've, we've been speaking about using these analogies, and we saw how the Bible speaks into these images of analogies as our home as a, a church, and our home as a, a worshiping center, our home as a school, that every home itself is a place of learning, and the primary thing we teach our kids is to love the Lord with all our heart and our soul and all our mind and with all our strength. We also teach our children that the home is a hospital, that we heal not just the physical boo-boos, but the internal heartbreak boo-boos, which are real to every single one of us, because we live in a broken world, and the home needs to be a place of healing from such. We learned last week that the home is a mission station. And that we have a ministry in the home, we have a ministry in the church, and if we have a ministry to our community together. And we spoke about that are the singles in our communities have the advantage of flexibility. Because they're not married and they don't have the extra responsibilities at the home, they have the ministry of flexibility to follow the Lord where he's at work and he is at work among us here today. And we learned that the, the marrieds have the ministry of hospitality. As a tag team duo, they can use that home and that environment that they're cultivating as a family as a mission station. And no, you don't have to go out and get new furniture. All right? Your value city furniture is perfect. All right? Right where it is. You don't have to have perfect homes, suburbanites. All right? We, we do this. All the time, my, well, my home's not ready. Yeah, it is. If the Lord's at work, it's ready. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's like my friend Jerry Smith used to say, we've got some extra spaghetti on. Come on over. 
You know, it's just that kind of attitude, just welcoming people in. And so today we wrap up our series with the home as a church, with mom and dad being the chief shepherds over their little flock. The, the parent as pastor is responsible for an environment that feeds, nurtures, and exhorts their children to know and love Jesus Christ, just like the church is called to nurture, you know, feed, and exhort the congregation so that you're inspired to follow Jesus as you walk away from here. So, too, is the home to be the same. Every home a little church. The Bible talks about such change as transformation. Paul says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is metamorpheo. We get the word metamorphosis. In other words, we each come in here every Sunday as a caterpillar and pray that through the word proclaimed faithfully and truthfully and our hearts warmed, we walk out inspired and we walk out as a butterfly. Right? That, and then throughout the week, you go back to being a caterpillar because you get beat up by the world. So we just do it all again every single Sunday. Well, every home is supposed to do that for the kids. So the question then is, how can we do that together? How does that happen? And I want to encourage, especially any single parents in here, when it says in verse 4, fathers, it's, it's talking about fathers collectively. As individual fathers, all in one in the Ephesian church, it also means mothers, all right? But the reality is we're all servant leaders to our kids. And while a single parent is harder, it's not impossible. So I just want to encourage our single families in here. So the first thing we can do, according to verse 4, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, we're just going to focus on verse 4 today because it has plenty to say to all of us. There are two ways I believe St. Paul is telling us to parent our kids that can help make the home as a church. And that is, first, strive to have a healthy pastor-parent relationship with your children. Well, how do you do that? Well, think of it this way. Nobody would go to a church where they're not cared for or fed or encouraged in the reality of the Lord, right? Well, kids are the same. We want them to feel fed, encouraged, and exhorted, and nurtured, right? But yet so many kids say things like, well, I don't like the way you deal with me. I don't like what we believe. I don't like the way you treat me, mom, dad. So, the question then becomes, how can we, as parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, answering this question, if I'm the only influence for Christ in this child's life, would this kid be a Christian? Think of it that way. How can we create a healthy relationship with our kids? Well, I think Paul is pointing us in three different ways in this passage. All right? Three ways to start. Number one, to have a healthy pastor-parent relationship with your children. The first thing, verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. 
And when we lived in Pittsburgh, we lived in these skinny homes that were really tall. And so because we wanted to create a culture of gentleness, not yelling, because Kim and I came from yelling homes, you know, that spoke up. We knew that was we wanted to keep a calm spirit. We put an intercom system on every floor. So we could just say, you know, Rebecca, can you come here for a second? Something like that. And a kid had one, there one in every kid's room. The boys were all upstairs in the attic. Imagine that mayhem, all right? All right. So my boys were in the attic, and, and Becca had her own room because she's the only girl. And so it was my job for wake up every morning. I took that on myself. Kimmy was glad. She didn't care, you know? So on Monday morning at 6.37, I can't remember what time it was, I'd put the CD in, and I'd press play, and on Monday would be a boisterous hymn that we sang on Sunday. Tuesday would be the military hymns, over hill, over dale, you will hit the dusty trail. You know, Wednesday was country music, and I would have them sing, he listened to Hank Williams, I Saw the Light, you know, old, twangy country. It was great. All right, Thursday was big band, you know, because grandpa and grandma were big band people, and so we played Glenn Miller in the orchestra, and on Fridays, We'd rock it out with Jesus Just Left Chicago from ZZ. Some blues rock, something like that. And the rule was you had to have your feet on the floor by the time the song was over. So if, I didn't, if we didn't hear them, I would go up there. And you know, when they're little, they thought that was cool. Then they turned 13. You know, and the boys are like, oh, Becca's rolling her eyes and what have you. So I remember going up one day when Zach and Ben weren't quite stirring fast enough for me. And I said, come on, boys, rise and shine. Dad, that's so stupid. I go, so, so I'm provoking you to anger, am I? Yes. You want me to stop? No. <laughs> you know, if they said yes, I would have said, I'm going to keep doing it anyway. And they knew that. The, the, the point, that's not provoking your children. That's just trying to be creative parenting, just doing something a little different that becomes your family's own thing. And all of you do it. That's not provoking your children. Provoking our children to anger is when they have that seething anger toward you. It's an anger that really comes out of nowhere. It's unnecessary. All right? And they're bitter towards us as parents. Here's three ways we do provoke our children. All right? Number one, we provoke our children to anger when we're too strict, too severe. For example, you say jump, you want to hear them say how high. Uh, you lay petty rule upon petty rule without any reason other than your selfish demand for order and obedience. Without concern for the good of the children, this creates even the best of children, most patient of children, most loving of children, a furious bitterness towards parents. It, it creates a brewing anger in their spirit. We do this by endless petty corrections, overprotection, overrestriction. Moms. Cruel and harsh punishment. Dads, 
remember that our goal as parents is not merely good behavior for good behavior's sake or for your sake. If we raise our kids too strictly, the day will come when you lose the ability to enforce those petty rules and regulations. And when that time comes, you don't want your kids to throw off all restraint, for they will. First, don't provoke your children to anger by being too strict. Also, don't provoke your children or grandchildren to anger by being too lenient. By saying, you know, if you do that again, so-and-so is going to happen and you don't follow through. You know, it's a house of no rules, which leads to ultimate chaos in the home, right? We need to have rules for the order of the home. And so God made it clear that corrective discipline is part of the most appropriate loving thing that a parent can do for the benefit of the kids. And so the Proverbs are full of parenting texts for corrective discipline. And it's, 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 it's a little over the map, you know, but the reality is corrective discipline is part of parenting. So I would say in a modern context, first just asking you, hey, we're going to do this, the kid disobeys, I think time out when they're little is just fine. In our house, we called it the penalty box. We're hockey people. Three minutes, tweet, penalty box, go. No, Dad, get in there. I asked you to do it, you didn't do it. But when it's defiance, disrespect, and I'm talking about when the kids are little here, very little, all right, up to about third grade, I want to encourage us not to buy into the lie of our culture that says you should never spank your kids. The biblical rod, switch, translated switch, um, at sometimes, is analogous to the modern-day wooden spoon. It was used instead of the hand to avoid potential of seriously injuring the child and not associating the hand as an instrument for punishment. So the kid would think the father or mother's hand, you know, uh, is the instrument of pain. Spanking should sting and bring about tears, but never injure and never, ever, ever done in anger. Contrary to some modern opinions, brothers and sisters, spanking does not damage this child's self-image. As it is judicially administered out of love. But when we're too lenient to appropriately administer any kind of corrective discipline... You're ultimately harming your kids. Listen to these Proverbs. All right? Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 20, verse 30. Blows that wound cleans, cleanse evil away. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. Proverbs 20, verse 30. And Proverbs 22.15, you've heard this one. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So therefore, we can provoke our children by being too lenient or too strict. And here's the last one. We can also provoke our children by being hypocrites. That we say we are Christians 
but we never open up the Bible with our kids. We say we're Christians, we don't pray with our children. We, we say we're Christians, but we constantly forsake the Lord's day by making an option. Kids see through that. And children of hypocritical parents are in some ways more difficult to reach for the gospel than, than kids who were never raised in Christian homes in the first place. So parents, don't be too strict. Don't be too lenient. Let's find the balance. And let's live into the promises we said we would make when we had our kids baptized. When we joined Christ Church, live into these promises. Because we believe them. Because this is true. Instead of provoking our children to anger, we want to inspire them by creating an atmosphere, an environment where they flourish as we flourish. Just as you would want Christ Church to be this place of inspiration for you. Just as to help you grow in godliness, it's just as important for the home to be such a place. With an element of excitement for each and individual child on their particular journey. And they're all different, right? Every single one of them. Therefore, if, we, if you're a follower of Christ, you have every reason to believe, according to Acts 2.39, that if we bring them up in these promises, they will be a follower of Christ. We have every reason to believe that. So therefore, go ahead and verbalize an expectation of what it will look like for them down the road in the future of their walk with Christ and their spiritual success. We do this with their music we do this with their studies and academics. We do this with their sports. Oh, that was so good, honey. Try it again. You almost got it. Well, let's do that in the spiritual realm. When you verbalize your confidence in your children, your grandchildren's spiritual progress, you're a child of the king. Walk in that reality. They begin to believe it for themselves. You know, they visualize and internalize a confidence in the gospel that becomes their own. One out of conviction, personal conviction that this is true. If we do that, we're not provoking our children to anger. But he says, rather, second point, all right, so that's how we can have a healthy parent-pastor relationship with our children. Secondly, we also... We function as a church when the children receive the discipline and instruction of the Lord from their parents. All right? Can there be such a thing as a loving church that fails to discipline its wandering members? Not really. Well, in the same way, parents can be, are not thought of as loving parents if they don't discipline and instruct their children all right now we're going to go to preventive discipline all right we talked about corrective discipline let's talk about preventive discipline preventative discipline has to do with training and instructing your child's minds as they encounter the messages of the world in fact the word paul uses for instruction here means literally to put into the mind to place into the mind when your children encounter a worldly way of thinking through a video game, a cartoon, um, a kid's show, 
commercials from something Johnny said at school or a podcast as kids grow older. They start listening to podcasts. Where they listen, tell me what you listen to. What did you listen to? What did you learn? Um, or maybe even from their teachers. It's our responsibility as parents to correct that way of thinking by providing for them a biblical alternative. At a very basic level, you want to make sure your children come to understand a biblical worldview concerning God, for example. Concerning the Bible. Concerning humanity. Well, let's look at those three real quick. Concerning the Bible... It's God-inspired word, therefore it has authority in my life. It's infallible, therefore it's trustworthy. It's unchangeable, therefore it's dependable. It's powerful, therefore it can make a difference in our lives. We need to teach them a biblical worldview concerning God. When you think of God, what do you think of? Well, according to the revelation of the scripture, he's omnipotent, therefore he can provide for us. He's omniscient, therefore he knows all that is in my heart. He's omnipresent, therefore he's near to us in our time of need. He's immutable, therefore he can be relied upon. He's just, therefore we can trust his goodness. He's loving and forgiving, so we can know he loves us and forgives us. And it's not about my perfect walk with Christ. It's my trust on his perfect walk with his Father. Concerning humanity, we're created in his image. And everybody on the face of the planet is created in his image and is worthy of us honoring them and treasuring them for who they are. Yet we're all still depraved and therefore we can be tempted and we will suffer because of our choices. And yet, even in the midst of that, we are freely offered deliverance from sin. And therefore we can be redeemed and live daily in God's kingdom. And we can be assured of the salvation about our destiny. And therefore we have hope for an eternity with God. That's catechizing. That's what it means to instruct, to place into our mind, our kids' minds, pre preventive parenting and instructing them in the reality of Christ. If I'm the only person pouring the Christian faith into my children, would they know and love Jesus? Think about that. You know, Donald Gray Barnhouse, that great pastor of the 20th century at 10th Presbyterian Church, he said this, if you want to do God-honoring parenting this way, you better start 20 years earlier. That means teenagers. Here we go. Let's get started. All right? And if your parents or your empty nesters right now, there's no time at the present just to get restarted. It's okay. God is all about that. So I want to encourage you, take this summer and develop some family goals for yourself. What do you want your family to look like 20, 30 years from now? I wrote these words as I came from South Carolina to Pittsburgh to go to seminary. That my personal goal in 1996, 1999 was to lead my family, Kimmy and the children, to be disciples of Christ within a home filled with grace and truth and a treasury of worn memories that when they raise their children, 
their children will be disciples of the living God and love to come home. We're still working that out, <laughs> but still striving for that. Do I have some regrets? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure some of you throughout this marriage series and this parenting series, because I see your eyes, and some of you are thinking, you know, I didn't do it that way. And some of the kids are walking with Christ, some of them aren't. And I was most encouraged by a message by Chuck Swindoll during this pandemic. Because during the pandemic, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, Fridays we filmed. And then all day Friday we were uploading the sermon. It would take five hours to get that all done. And every week something went wrong. If you don't think there's a devil in technology, you're crazy. All right? Because every week something went wrong. You know, and, and, and me and Daniel would go, it's okay. And Kimmy would go, not again, you know. <laughs> but by Sunday morning, we were all done with it. Some days, all day Saturdays, we were still working on it. And so we were just kind of done. Sunday morning, I'd get up in the morning, I'd pour myself a cup of coffee, and I would watch another church's service. Just maybe if I could learn something, maybe just to hear some other voice preach the gospel. And I... After looking at several churches around, I really landed on the Falls Church Anglican and Stonebriar Community Church in Frisco, Texas, where Chuck Swindoll, at the age of 86, is still preaching faithfully the Word of God. He's sounding old, but he's still as energetic as he ever was. Just, I love that man. Love him. He told the story that he really didn't grow up in much of a Christian home. His, his mom was a believer, and they went to church, but his dad wasn't walking with the Lord. And all of a sudden, about the time Chuck was 11 or 12, his dad realized he was being that hypocrite. He said he was a Christian, but they weren't. And so his dad repented and placed his trust in Jesus Christ. And he called the family together. And there is his older brother, Orville, in that great name, Orville, and Lucy, and Charles, they called him, and his machinist dad, his dad was a machinist, said, you know, I, I haven't been living, I haven't been the father I've meant to be, I haven't been the husband I've meant to be, but we're going to do it God's way from here on, Okay? I don't care what's gone in the past. I have, those are all the regrets, but I've placed them at the cross. Now, now we're going to do it God's way. Okay? And the kids go, okay, Dad. And the legacy that that decision and that resolve of his dad being a, being a, a tradesman who just began to immerse himself in the word has left a legacy of faith that Chuck is passing on to the world. And continues to at age 86. So don't think, my friends, even if your kids are grown and out of the house, you can't have an impact. It's never too late to say, you know, I'd do it different. Because this is true. And God is the God of grace who welcomes us back just as we are. So therefore, my friends... No matter how the Lord is 
nurtured you throughout this series, exhorted you throughout this series, encouraged you throughout this series, let's just throw it all at the cross and let's follow him together so we be homes, marriages of flourishing for our edification and for his glory in the home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this day and grateful that you loved us so much to send your son to die for us. And Lord, right now, we repent of all our sins, of doing marriage our way, of doing parenting our way. We're going to do it your way, Lord. For those of us who are overly strict, we're going to back off. For those of us who are overly lenient, we're going to tighten it up. For those of us who, who haven't been consistent in our faith, Lord, we just lay it at the foot of the cross and we ask your forgiveness. Repent of our sins and we receive you, Lord Jesus, as our personal Savior. And now as your children, Lord, we turn our lives over to you and pray you would fill us Holy Spirit so that as we don't provoke our children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction. We'd be so grounded in your word as your disciples that it'd be evident and so encouraging within the home as a little church, spreading to our little churches here and to the world for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.